This podcast contains mature themes and explicit language. Movie Lovers is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. is up Jacobson hello my love how are you today dear I'm good we started our day off right we went and got breakfast at Cecil's here yep. in St. Paul which is an amazing Jewish deli <sighs> so good best potato pancakes around yeah I love me the blockies <laughs> heck yeah all right, so today is a special day. I always say that every time we start an episode. I don't know why this day is any more special than any other. But thank you all out there for tuning into today's episode of Movie Lovers. Jonah here is a musician and the love of my life. My name is Mallory, and I'm a multimedia designer and musical theater geek. And together, we are Movie Lovers. Movie Lovers is a podcast where we take turns picking the movie each week. Whether the other one wants to watch it or not. And we discuss our list of topics. You're such a dork. Doing this podcast every week gives us an opportunity to make the other one watch all of those movies that we've been putting off since we met in 2015, which is surprisingly a lot of movies, turns out. Or in this case, new movies that I don't think you would otherwise want to watch. Correct. I would not have wanted to watch this movie. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it. As we will learn as we progress through this podcast episode uh, today. So let's jump right in, ladies and gentlemen. This is the most recent movie we will have ever done on this podcast. Came out just a couple of months ago. We are doing Tick, Tick, Boom, which is Mr. Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut. You may know him as the mastermind behind Hamilton. And lots of other awesome shit. Coolest beans. Yes. So obviously I picked this movie. Correct. Obviously Mallory picked this movie. Because I've been a rent head since my junior year of high school. So I think I've I've loved rent and subsequently Jonathan Larson for over half my life. And I really wanted to watch this movie because I felt like it would resonate with Mr. Jonah here a lot. I did. The idea of an artist and grappling with the concept of having enough time to accomplish what you want with your art. Right. That is a constant theme in my life. Yes. And uh, not unlike Jonathan Larson in this story, he's 29 turning 30. You are almost 39. Right. Turning 40. I'm entering into my last year of my 30s. No. Of course, someday I'm going to listen to this episode and I'll be like, you idiot, you are so lucky to be 39. Shut the hell up. You bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so trailer. This is the life of Boba Bobo. This is the life of Boba Bobo. This is the life of Boba Bobo. Bohemia. Bohemia. Boba Bobo. Lately, I've been hearing this sound like a. Like a time bomb. Check. Hey, boy genius. The fuse has been lit. The clock counts down the seconds. It sounds great. Do you know how many Jonathan Larsons there are? One. The flame gets closer and closer and closer. Until all at once, everything explodes. Feel love, 
Hey, Mallory. Hey, Jonah. What was your first memory with this movie? Well, my first memory with this movie took place at a movie theater, even though this movie was a a Netflix production. It came out on Netflix at the same time, but it also came out in a movie theater. And I knew I needed to see it in a theater setting. So I hopped in the car and drove... 45 minutes to whatever freaking town I went to in the suburbs to go see this. And before I give a little bit of like an emotional, this is, was my experience seeing it in the theater. For those of you that maybe are like vaguely aware of, you know, Jonathan Larson created Rent, died before Rent hit its peak, whatever. I just wanted to read a little something-something here just to to preface everything. So Jonathan Larson died suddenly of an aortic dissection, I guess is the technical term for it. He was only 35. The cause was undiagnosed Marfan syndrome, which you can read more about if you are curious, but basically an aortic aneurysm suddenly killed him. Larson had been suffering from severe chest pains and dizziness in the days prior, but neither x-rays nor electrocardiograms showed any signs of danger, and he was misdiagnosed with either stress or the flu. The cast and creative team decided to perform the show on the day of his death with his family's blessing. For Mr. Larson's parents and sister and friends, opening night was glorious and heartbreaking. It's the best and worst moment of my life, said his sister, Julie. This play was Jonathan. It was totally my brother. Larson was on the cusp of a massive career breakthrough as Rent would go on to be a huge success on Broadway, win scores of awards, among them several Tony Awards and the Pulitzer Prize, and become a worldwide phenomenon. His natural talent was extraordinary, and in his short composing time, besides writing over 200 songs, Jonathan Larson changed the musical theater landscape forever. After the first performance of Rent, following thunderous applause, someone in the audience broke through the silence with, thank you, Jonathan Larson. I wanted to share that first because I had a really emotional experience when I went and saw this movie. There's a little like documentary out there called Thank You, Jonathan Larson. Like this phrase, thank you, Jonathan Larson, has become sort of a mantra of anyone who has come to love Rent and what he created. And there were only four people in the theater when I went to see this and I sat through all of the credits. I was the last one in the theater and waited for the final credit to roll. And I just kind of sat there and just had tears in my eyes and said out loud to myself, thank you, Jonathan Larson. And I left that theater just being so, so moved, so, so moved. And it's so special for me to share this with you because so much of what I feel watching this movie makes me think of you in so many ways. So this might be a really mushy episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm over here just like, uh, tearing up. And I'm, yeah. And it's usually my job on this podcast to be the, like, goofy, funny, cut-up person. So I'm going to still try to do that, <laughs> even though that the subject matter is heavy. It is. So it is heavy. Please but- forgive me, listeners. Uh, I'm not insensitive. No. I think... The best ways to deal with things that make us sad is through laughter and smiling, and you do that 100%. in my life every yeah. single fucking day. So That's what I'm here for. Yes. So sad subject matter, but also really inspiring subject matter. Okay. So your first memory of this movie was... Was watching it with you. In It took us two days to watch it just because we were so busy, but we finished it last night. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So why don't we do a real quick Mally Explains Movies... In 30 seconds or less? Yeah, right. I feel like uh, I pretty much already kind of prefaced what this movie is about, but um, Tick, Tick, Boom was actually a one-man show that... Jonathan Larson wrote for himself uh, prior to Rent being a thing. He then, uh, after he passed away, it was turned into a full-scale show at some point and whatever. But then this movie is really tick, tick, boom. But then also his story at the same time, like the slice of life before Rent was a thing. Lin-Manuel Miranda said, it's a self-portrait of an artist at a crossroads. And I don't think I could say it any better than that. All right, best actor. I have a... 
I wrote Andrew Garfield, duh, <laughs> should get an Oscar nomination at least. He's getting so much buzz. He is also my best actor. Duh. He's getting so much best actor buzz. He got nominated for a Golden... Was it the Golden Globes that just happened? I don't know. I think so. And he's nominated for a SAG Award. SAG Awards are usually a pretty good indicator of what the Oscar noms are going to look like. Oscar noms will come out next month. You know, it'd be funny as if the SAG Awards were actually awarded to people who just, like, were really obese, but then they lost tons of weight, and so all their skin was just, like, sagging off their body, and it's like, the SAG Award goes to this guy who looks like a deflated balloon. You're welcome. All right. Yeah, but don't quit your day job. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, aside from Andrew Garfield just 150% being Jonathan Larson, like, you go watch footage of Jonathan Larson, you're like, okay, yep, he did it. He managed to not do, be a caricature of him. But there's just, he's got Jonathan Larson's soul in him in this performance. And, uh... It makes me think of the guy that played Freddie Mercury. What was his name? Oh, yeah. The guy that played Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Didn't He won the Oscar, didn't he? He did. Yeah, so I mean... He did. Rami Malek. Rami Malek. There, there we go. go. Yeah. yeah, my brain's not fully functioning yet. But yeah, so... And can I also just give humongous props to Andrew Garfield... He's an amazing singer, and he had never sung before this. He had never professionally sung anywhere. I have some things to say about that. All right. And I have some cool tidbits in my movie magic and behind-the-scenes stuff about preparation and whatever, but, uh, whew, yeah. So, Andrew Garfield, best actor. All right. O'Doyle. O'Doyle rules! So the O'Doyle, we're not going to spend much time on this. The O'Doyle is literally a character that just exists to be a dick, and that is it. And has a small amount of screen time. Right. I say it was the dude, the other theater critic dude in that scene when Stephen Sondheim gives Jonathan feedback while he was writing Superbia, his musical Superbia. And that guy was just kind of a dick and shitting on it, but then was like, oh, Stephen Sondheim's saying good things. And then he like starts backpedaling and just like, oh yeah, we're saying the same thing, just in different ways. Like, yeah, he's the only person I could think of. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm just going to agree with you on that because I didn't write one down because I didn't. It's not that kind of movie. It's not that kind of movie. It's not that kind of movie. What about the character you most identify with, my dear? Hmm. Hmm, I wonder. Jonathan Larson, for sure, is what I have. And how about you? Character I most identify with is Susan, his significant other, but not in the way of wanting my partner to give up his dream. For whatever reason. You are not the wet blanket. I am the opposite of that, but... For being a woman in love with a genius of an artist, I identify with Susan. You're sweet. <laughs> I am just being honest. Wee wee moment. I think we both have the same thing. This is the life. Ba bow ba bow bow. Yes, the Bohemia song party scene. Yeah, that is 150 percent them just having a good time. Musical theater style. Because who doesn't burst into song for fun? Yeah. I mean, I do burst into song for fun all the time. So do I, actually. So what the fuck are we talking about? Okay, so moving into most iconic moment, favorite scenes, I'm going to preface this with we're probably not going to have a lot of audio clips because this is a musical and, like, copyright stuff and music. I'm always... Same thing when we did our episode on Spice World. I just, like... I don't want to go there and like have this episode take. We don't want to be sued. Don't sue us, please. Please don't sue us. So this episode's not going to have those things, just so you're aware. But what was one of your favorite scenes or what did you think the most iconic scene was? Um, I just went for my favorite scene. The the therapy song um, was really (laughs) funny. It was. And it was like, it's funny because it was like putting a, a, a comedic spin on an unfortunate situation. Right. Well, yeah, in this scene, it's like Jonathan and Susan are fighting, like having their big blowout, our relationship is going to end fight. And the song that's being performed simultaneously through Tick, Tick, Boom, like the one man show, it's uh, Vanessa Hudgens and uh, Andrew Garfield doing this therapy song, which is fucking hilarious. The choreography of them with their heads and their eye movements and the I feel bad that you feel 
bad. (laughs) Yeah. That whole thing. I'm glad that you like that. Like, that song and then another song are a couple of instances in this movie where it's just like sort of silly, funny musical theater. And I wasn't sure how you were going to like those moments. So I like that that ended up being one of your favorites. Always surprising me. So for me, I feel like the most iconic scene. And if there's anything that they're going to be playing a clip of at the Oscars, when Andrew Garfield is nominated for best actor, it's the song when he's playing the piano in the park by himself I have some fun information in my movie magic section. He had to sing that. I mean, I'm sure they had, they did some like audio mixing and tweaking and stuff and some, some pitch correction, whatever. But a scene like that, you can't just play the song in the background and lip sync to it. And I can tell you from being obsessed with this soundtrack for two months and listening to that song a million times, it was really fun this time around realizing that he was singing that live because it's, you know, slightly different variation on the pacing and whatever than the recorded version. And yeah, he just so much emotion and tears streaming down his face. And that song just touched me, really touched me. It was a good one. Yeah. What uh, scene, <laughs> what scene did you hate? This I'm very curious this is the life, ba bow ba bow bow You don't like that? I didn't like it. It was... How come? Because it, it was Andrew Garfield featuring Melodyne. Mm. Especially on his lower notes, you could really hear it very clearly. Ba-bow, ba-bow, bow There was a, like, a lot of like <laughs> lower kind of move, parts that moved around different notes pretty quickly and stuff like that. And yeah, that was... Right. It was like Emma Watson-style Melodyne. Oh, God. Emma Watson singing in Beauty and the Beast was so, so bad and so cringy. That's a whole other conversation for another day. Correct. So my least favorite parts are not even like, I didn't like this part of the movie. As a musical theater freak, when I become obsessed with a show, I listen to the soundtrack constantly and I have my favorite songs that I like to sing. And then there are always several songs that I'm always skipping because I don't like to sing them or I don't want to learn to sing them. I'm always skipping the apartment song, which is, um, you were really laughing at that one when, uh, Michael is showing Jonathan his new apartment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, no more having shitty apartment in the city. And it's like, hello, my fancy apartment. I just always skip that song. I don't necessarily hate the scene. I just like, I never really want to listen to that. Or like the play game part, that like rapping part. Yeah. Well, can I, if I can just comment real quick on the, the apartment song yeah. or whatever. I always, like, my financial brain is always just like, why are you spending this much money on an apartment? At least own it so you're building equity. But, like, pissing away thousands of dollars a month Mm -hmm. on an apartment and rent money is just absolute foolishness. And come to find later on, there's a little more context to that because my goal ends up revealing that he is HIV positive, spoiler alert, and, uh, and yeah, if you thought you were going to die in a year, I'd spend my money on fancy shit too. Yeah. And then the, like the, the little, like that rap song that it's called play game mm-hmm. in the movie, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, made it into a funny little excerpt. Like y- you see a little snippet of footage of like Jonathan Larson on stage performing in Tick, Tick, Boom with like the pink hat on and he's like rapping or whatever. Yeah. And like in an interview I read, Lin-Manuel Miranda was like, yeah, that really is just a moment that it's just him being a silly, huge dork on screen or, you know, on the stage. And I have the opportunity to turn it into like a, let's make this into a 90s music video, rap, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> And that's just not, not really my bag. I get the place that it holds and whatever and feels very 90s, but not my fave. All right, let's jump into body count. I'm going to kill everybody. It is going to be fantastic. Body count. So I have one frowny face, Jonathan Larson. Yeah. So (laughs) in a movie like this, the body count is a little bit in poor taste. He didn't die in this movie. I, I attempted to turn this this around into a serious category. Are you ready for it? Yeah. So zero technically in this movie, 
But according to AIDS.gov, they report that 36.7 million people worldwide are living with HIV and 35 million have died since 1981 from AIDS. To put that into a little bit of context, 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust. 20 million people died in World War I. So 35 million people died since 1981 from AIDS. Jonathan Larson wrote a revolutionary musical that brought huge awareness to the AIDS crisis in a way that I think a lot of people maybe wouldn't have learned to have the love and compassion for people that have gone through that. So uh, there's a there's a different spin on body count for you. Yeah. Act the, up, fight AIDS. Yeah. And the contrast between the, the body count musical intro segment to your seriousness will be great. But you know what, <laughs> listeners, if you're new to this podcast... Uh, sorry, not sorry. We have to stick with our format and own this, so. Yeah. And you know what? We are unapologetically ourselves. And on that note, let's move into the Mallory's They Need to Fuck category. Mallory's They Need to Fuck. (laughs) All right, so this category came about because anytime we watch a movie Mallory always says ooh they're gonna fuck or they need to fuck so in this category I gave Mallory five pairings of people from the movie and she has to choose which one she would most like to see fuck each other here we go um Larson and his first musical (laughs) Sondheim and Larson no oh oh like, it'd Rest be like in a, peace to both of them? Yeah. It'd be like a daddy. Sondheim's like his daddy. Okay. Mm. This is all in poor taste. Uh, <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens and me. Yes, mm. yes, please. <laughs> oh, and this is where it gets really bad. So f- my fourth and fifth pick are, are tied. Don't look at my paper. Are tied in together here. Okay. So make sure I'm going to say number four, and then I'm going to quickly say number five. Okay. All the aged patients, because... They already have AIDS, so you can cut this part out if you want. (laughs) Oh, no. And number five, me and Satan, because I'm clearly going to hell. (laughs) You and Satan. Yeah, that's the one I want. I was hoping you were going to say Vanessa Hudgens and me. That would have been very nice I'd rather see you fuck Satan. Especially that, like, really hot version of Satan, like the fallen angel version of Satan. Oh, with the abs and everything? Abs. All right. Favorite quotes. <laughs> I just can't with that section. I'm so sorry, everybody. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm really sorry. Favorite quotes. What do you have, my dear? Uh, so Jonathan Larson, Jonathan Larson says, I'm allowing myself to be led by love. And I really identify with that. Hell so yeah. I actually am a really nice, caring person. Oh, God. People are going to hate me. Anyway. Um, <laughs> some guy named Scott says, I hated singing. I just did it for the pussy. <laughs> and then follow up Mallory said there's always a Scott. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. Yeah, there's always a Scott in the situations like that. Yeah, and everybody around him was just like uh, 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 uh. um and then Jonathan Larson's dad says his hair is ridiculous, which is awesome since his dad said it, but I was thinking it this whole time. It was very like 90s um, like, hey, man, new wave is over with. You got to let it die, bro. Oh, yeah. He, he, they did such a wonderful job on Andrew Garfield's hair. Like, it was 100%. Like, there was a... I don't remember when it was, but it was a shot from behind Andrew Garfield, and you just saw the back of his head. And I was like, you could fool me right now that that literally is Jonathan Larson. Just the outline of yeah. him. Um, I'm also sorry. I just had, like, a delicatessen sandwich burp, and it was... <laughs> It was me. Did it taste good at least? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I remember <laughs> eating that. It was delicious the second time. Mm. Okay. I only have a few quotes because this is more of a, a song, music, singing, whatever. Not like spoken word. Uh, I said to you when we were starting this movie, this movie is going to touch you. And it I, did. And I think it did. It absolutely did. You, I don't know. Okay. So like in that same scene with that Scott guy, that was like... I was only in it for the pussy or whatever. Mm-hmm. He asked Jonathan, like, what do you do or whatever? And Jonathan was like, I'm the future of musical theater, Scott. And like, he was kind of like drunk and whatever, but just like being 
insanely confident and adorable, whatever. Mm -hmm. That was a very like, hmm, it's like my baba. <laughs> you don't walk around being like, I'm the future of, you know, whatever part of music it is that you're trying to tackle that day. But um, I, I am, I I am the go-to for symphonic metal. Yeah. And you're just an amazing composer. And someday I want to see you have major success composing yeah, it's, everywhere. that's a whole different world. And I'm, I've been feeling pretty good about where my career is at as far as the things I've accomplished in metal. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, I feel like that's the next that's the next step. That's the transition yeah. after some point in time. And then uh, Jonah quote, Vanessa Hudgens needs to sit on my face. Oh, you wrote that down. I did. Well, it's true. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I had so many moments during this movie where I'm just like, <sighs> yeah. Oh She's my so god. Hot. Get out of town, Vanessa Hudgens. But don't. All right. Alternate porn title. Uh, it's time for whole alternate porn uh, title. Oh god, yeah. What do you got, Jacobson? <laughs> kind of dumb but in the cadence of tick tick boom and also like the insinuation of that you know it's like the clock is ticking and then something happens uh my head just immediately went tease tease cock <laughs> <laughs> not bad not bad it doesn't really roll off the tongue so i don't like that about it but i have what do you have <laughs> dick dick poon Ooh, I'm really job. proud of that one. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Poon. Right. I like that. Dick, dick, poon. All right. Diane moment, a.k.a. noticing things in the background. I had the Rod Stewart cassette tape yep. that he had in his collection. He had an old-ass Casio keyboard. <laughs> um, it's like one of those ones I feel like you could still find at a pawn shop somewhere. Right. And old-ass Apple computer from 1990. Yeah. I also wrote down the Apple computer, and then as a side note, I was just like, Jonathan's whole apartment is literally the definition of a Diane moment on so many levels, but they reconstructed his apartment to a T, like from photos and videos and whatever, like that is the closest you were ever going to get to actually replicating that real, real life space. Did you notice he also had an Anthrax cassette tape in his collection? My my eyes were just, like, scanning the whole thing. And I noticed a couple metal ones, but the Anthrax one mm. stuck out in my head, too. I'll have to find a screenshot of all of his cassette tapes. And yeah. maybe put that on our Instagram feed. I was like, okay. I, I gained a little respect for him because he had some metal in that collection. Hell, yeah. You don't write a rock musical that revolutionized the face of musical theater and not indulge in some metal. Sorry. Wait, so do you like Wrench? Because... I love it! Alright, music, score, and soundtrack. Music, score, and soundtrack. Music, score, and soundtrack. Score, and soundtrack. Score, and soundtrack. Music, score, and soundtrack. Music, score, and soundtrack. Soundtrack. So this is a musical. So there's a lot, a lot going on, music score and soundtrack wise. I'm curious to hear some of your opinions. Um, in the context of this movie, I didn't really hate any of it. I think that this is the life of a Bow Bow song is a little annoying, as I wrote and mentioned earlier. However, um, the Happy Birthday song hits hard. I like that one. It's called 3090. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's got a really good chorus. And I can't read what else I wrote there because it's my handwriting and it sucks. <laughs> yes. So I just, I was blown away by this music as someone who has been so obsessed with Rent for so long. And I could, at the drop of a hat, sing any song from Rent for you, word for word, note for note, whether it's on key or not. I just was sitting in the movie theater the first time I saw this going, Jesus Christ, he wrote all of this too? All of these songs are amazing and I love them. And <sighs> so I always get really hung up on how beautiful of a job Jonathan Larson does with layering vocals, harmonies, 
wise, but also you see it a lot in Rent and you see it a lot in a lot of these songs, just like different layers of different people singing at different times and the way that they all merge together and it works just always blows my mind. I don't know how people do that. The song Johnny Can't Decide, I love all of the beautiful harmonies in that song. It just like, you know when a harmony just hits and it just like you feel it yeah. in your core? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, fucking God, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the, this is a no-brainer. The music in this is motherfucking amazing. And Lin-Manuel Miranda really wanted to make a point to have the music credit of the movie go to Jonathan Larson. And he had to, like, dig through archives and, you know, find certain things so that all of the music literally would be attributed to him. And I think that's really wonderful. Such a tribute from one musical theater writer brain to another. And um, I also really love 3090. 3090 is the song that always gets stuck in my head. Earworm Central. Yes. Would this movie be better with Jean-Claude Van Damme in it? Um, No, absolutely not. It would not be. And everyone would be like, why the fuck is Jean-Claude Van Damme in this movie? It wouldn't make any sense and it would be distracting. Yeah, the musical theater community would blow a gasket. They'd be like, yeah, it just, yeah, no. My note was, fuck, no, never. Period after each word. Let's pop into movie magic. Movie magic. All right, movie magic wise, I've got several different sources for different pieces of information, and I will cite them as I go along. One thing that I did just want to point out. I think most of you are already aware from all of the talking I've done about how amazing the Jonathan Larson uh, was, is, will always be, but uh, posthumously, I fucking can never say that word right, after his death, <laughs> he won the Pulitzer Prize for Rent. He won three Tony Awards for Rent for Best Book of a Musical, Best Musical, and Best Original Score, and he won awards from uh, the Drama Desk Awards. I don't really know what those are. And then the New York Drama Critics Circle Best Musical Awards. So that that gives you any sort of indication as to how much of a musical genius this man was and how tragic it was that he died when he did so suddenly. There you have it. So I read an awesome article on uh, Collider.com. More so, I read part of it, but then like watched an interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'll definitely be putting this on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, Jonathan Larson originally performed this work, Tick, Tick, Boom, as a solo piece, as I think I've already mentioned, but it was revived and revamped after his death and debuted off-Broadway in 2001 and then went out on U.S. tour in the early 2000s subsequently. So up until now, that's kind of like the life cycle of Tick, Tick, Boom. So really cool that it's it's got a chance to be this full-fledged thing that everybody can see now. Lin-Manuel Miranda got to go to the Library of Congress and see all of Jonathan's stuff, like artifacts and stuff that they saved. Miranda talked about loving seeing his work just as a fellow writer outside of you know, producing this or directing whatever this movie, just as another fellow creator, being able to see all that was insanely inspiring, as one might imagine. Jonathan would ask himself questions in his writing process, as we see in this movie. And there are literal pieces of paper that had all of these awesome questions on them in, you know, Jonathan Larson's stuff in the Library of Congress. Namely, including, and I feel like, it, oh, Jesus Christ, if my eyes ever laid, if, if I ever laid eyes on this, I think I would just start bawling immediately. But including the, how do you measure a year question, which is famously from Seasons of Love, from Rent, like literally within his handwriting, the breakdown of 52 weeks, 365 days, and then down to minutes with a huge circle around 525,600 minutes. My heart would just stop. It would just stop. But I think that's a really, really cool thing. And I think it's really sweet how Lin-Manuel Miranda worked that into the movie so much. And 
the song that Jonathan wrote, the last song in Tick, Tick, Boom, is just literally a series of questions like, why do we play with fire? Why do we stay with lovers that we know aren't right? Why does it take catastrophe to start a revolution or start a war or whatever? I just love that. I love that notion. And, and, uh, yeah, I just would die. I would die if I saw the things that he got to see in the Library of Congress. Holy shit. There's another article on, uh, the playlist.net, uh, which was an interview with Andrew Garfield. I'll also share this. So I'm just going to read some chunks from this article. So the now 38 year old actor, how fucking cool is it? Andrew Garfield is also 38. Hello. But uh, the now 38-year-old actor has taken challenging roles in stage productions previously to taking on this role, but he's never done a musical before. He was prominently in Angels in America and Death of a Salesman. He's starred in, you know, all sorts of amazing movies that we're all super aware of. A quote from Andrew Garfield. It's a strange pathology that I have where I need to feel totally challenged and outside of my comfort zone to feel like I'm alive and I need to feel and I need to feel alive in that way. That's just the way it goes. And again, it's that thing with the song why. It's what Jonathan was struggling with. It's like how am I supposed to spend my time? And for me, I want to spend my time expanding. I want to spend my time here getting to know the whole garden of myself life and what it is to be a person. And I think I'm lucky that I get to do that in my work. I just, yeah, I, I, I really love that sentiment that Andrew Garfield expressed in that interview. Another question that was asked of him in that interview was, you said that you love Jonathan Larson. Were you a fan of this musical or Rent before the project came your way? Or was it something you discovered when someone reached out to you for the role? Andrew Garfield said, yeah, I mean, I was aware of Rent, but to be honest, I wasn't a big musical theater person. It was kind of new to me in a lot of ways. Touching on the fact that he learned to sing for this movie, the question was, and by the way, you have a fantastic singing voice, but how did Lynn or the producers even know this was up your alley? To that, Andrew replied, I don't think they did. I guess it was Lynn going, well, who's the fit for John? And I think he had seen me in Angels in America. He knew I was an instrument vocally and bodily that could withstand the most challenging play ever acted. This eight and a half hour mountain of just awe and terror and hilarity and life and death also set during the AIDS crisis in New York City. And I didn't miss a show in a year and a half that I did that play. I didn't have a sick night or a vocal rest day. And I think that made him think, well, I think he's the right actor for this. But also, I think if he's not tone deaf, he can get there vocally. He sent me to Liz Kaplan, who's this incredible singing teacher. And that was kind of a semi-secret, subtle audition where she was testing out whether I could get to the place where I needed to. I was like are we barking up the wrong tree here? And she was like, no, we can get there. And that was music to my ears, Lynn's ears. And then we were kind of off to the races from there. That just blows my mind. It blows my mind. I just, I love Andrew Garfield's voice so much. I think it's so cool that he learned to sing for this fucking movie. Jesus, he needs to win an Oscar. Another question that was asked of him was, was there a particular song you were most concerned about? Andrew says, 3090 is a runway train that you have to somehow be in control of and figure out how to breathe. And it has the highest note in the score for me as John. And that was that final, what can you do? Which is, I forget the exact note, what it is, but I knew I needed to figure out how the fuck to get up there. He goes on to say, but why was the real terror? Because I knew that I wanted to give Lynn live takes because it had to be because in that moment, it's John figuring out he's making it up as he goes along that song. He's working out this impossible moment in his life as he meets it. And it has to be live. It had to be spontaneous. It had to be a found improvised feeling. So there was no way a pre-record would work for that. And we were filming at the end of the first week of shooting. And I was like, this is hell. But it was the best thing to get it up front and just to get it under our belt. 
And it's the biggest emotional crux moment for John in the film. And yeah, that was definitely the scariest thing. But I think on the second take, Lynn came from behind the camera and he said, we have the Hathaway take. And just a side note for those of you that aren't huge musical theater people, he's referring to Anne Hathaway doing her song in Les Mis in one take that that performance is just amazing. Just go watch that video on YouTube, but that's what they're referring to. Andrew Garfield goes on to say, you know, that one take wonder thing. And for a while I thought he was going to use it as such. And obviously he and his directors edited, edit it, edited it beautifully. God talking is hard. Uh, but I was very, very happy to hear that. And he was very genuine. And Julie Larson, Jonathan's sister, was there that night. And it's good when the crew is crying. It's a nice feeling, but like, okay, thank God we can make the film now. And it's not just me blowing smoke up anyone's butt saying that. That was a lot. That was a lot of me quoting Andrew Garfield, but I just, all of those tidbits are so cool. I think they're so awesome and I had to share them. Okay, so just a few other like fun small facts, stuff that I kind of, you know, grabbed the information from IMDb, but it was stuff that I've known from reading about this movie copiously since I've seen it. The three bums in the brunch number were played by original cast members from Rent, Adam Pascal, Daphne Rubenbega, and Wilson Germain Heredia. The other patrons are all Broadway legends, so everybody in that scene is amazing, and if you're a musical theater nut, you're going, oh my god, it's so-and-so, oh my god, it's so-and-so. Lin-Manuel Miranda, this was his directorial debut, as I believe we've already said. The real-life inspiration for the character of Michael, who is HIV positive, is a gentleman named Matthew O'Grady, who is a very close friend of Jonathan Larson's, and he is still alive and well today. And then I kind of just wanted to touch on, uh, I told Jonah when we started the movie that, like, There are a million teeny tiny cute little Easter eggs that are a nod to Rent and him not being a Rent head. He's not going to pick up on any of them, which is totally fine. But especially when I was sitting in the theater watching this and I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, over and over again as I noticed all these little tidbits from Rent. Uh, One that I did not notice that I read about on IMDb was in one frame of the teaser trailer, Andrew Garfield is on a roof. An apartment building to his left has 52-5600 written on it, which is a reference to Rent, Seasons of Love, 525,600 minutes. Having a musical theater director, person, god, whatever, like Lynn manuel Miranda directing this movie, it injects so much love and so many of these little Rent Easter eggs into the movie that I don't think another director would have thought to do. So just all of the things that I was writing in my fucking margins throughout the entire movie, uh, Jonathan Larson's answering machine being the message speak that is directly also in rent and screening his phone calls early on in the movie, he calls Michael an angel, angel, one of the main characters of rent and the character of Michael very much is the same type, like looks, looks like Angel does. So I thought that was a really cool parallel too. I don't know if the real guy looks like Angel, but this actor definitely does. There is a part early on, I can't remember if it's when they, uh, they're listening to some voicemails and there's something about not being able to get the speakers to work. That's a little plot line early on in Rent. Calling Michael Pookie, that was a nod to Rent. When... Jonathan mentions at some point in the movie his friends Pam and Gordon and all these people that he'd lost to AIDS. They are, those are also character names that are mentioned in Rent, uh, especially when they're at the support group and like they're all sitting around and they all kind of like say their names and they're like, Pam, so-and-so. And it's, I believe it's the character of Gordon that sings the, look, I find some of what you teach suspect, that whole song. Cutting off the power, when Jonathan loses his power, that is literally the opening of Rent. And that apartment song, the No More, like that guitar riff is so similar to the song Rent in Rent, which is what kicks off the show. But that whole, the power blows, and then that guitar riff just goes and the show starts. 
art imitating real life, Jonathan really took what he knew and took his life and put it into rent, which I think is so amazing. I just, you know, honestly, it's like, I knew, I knew that rent came from Jonathan's life experience and losing friends and living through the AIDS crisis during its height. But I never really realized until now watching this that Mark is Jonathan. Mark in Rent is Jonathan. Him being the filmmaker, him being the one that doesn't have AIDS and is going to, you know, having that Mark has lines about like being the only one to survive all of this because everyone around him is dying. I never really made that connection until now. Maybe I did subconsciously, but not consciously. So, all right, that's everything that I have for movie magic. But like we've been talking about, this movie just came out. It's got huge Oscar buzz. There are a million awesome interviews out there with the cast, with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Go watch them, listen to them, consume it all. And hopefully you will be sitting on Oscar day just like I am with your fingers crossed for Andrew Garfield to win Best Actor. Hey, Jacobson. Yas. Who would you bone? I would bone Andrew Garfield. Really? Yes. Okay. There are a lot of really hot babes in this movie. Yes. But he is a version of my love of my life, you know? He's this compassionate, like, music spinning through his head every moment of every day almost, and the, you know, quote-unquote boy genius, just, like, artistic force to be reckoned with, and I find that incredibly attractive. Hello, look at you. Aww. Let me kiss it. Mm, You're sweet. Mm, Who would you bone? Uh, definitely Vanudgeons, a.k.a. Vanessa Hudgens. Vanudgeons. With an honorable mention to Susan, because she was also gorgeous. Hell yeah. Oh my god, yeah. But Vanessa Hudgens, like, not only was she the hottest chick in this movie, but she's just, like, one of the hottest chicks ever on the planet. That's high praise. So. High praise. She makes me feel funny in my pants, like when I climb the rope in gym class. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Garth. (laughs) Controversial take. Oh, goodness. I'm curious. So my controversial take is that um, Hudgens' hotness was actually distracting for me Mm. because I couldn't stop staring at her. No matter where she was on screen or what she was doing or how minor of a part she had, to me, this movie was Vanessa Hudgens. So... Sorry. Interesting. Interesting. Controversy. Controversy. What about you, Jacobson? My controversial take is maybe controversial to some people of a specific, I don't know, brain wavelength or something, but my controversial opinion, never make your dream into just your hobby. Don't do that. You don't have to get a real job. You only get one motherfucking life. And you don't want it to be full of regret. Like, yes, you can get a job to support your dream. And if you have kids or if you're in a situation where, like, you need to make money, but, like, you want to be an artist and you're not making any money from that, yeah, okay, obviously you need a real job. But don't give it up. Don't do that. Don't fucking do that. That was, like, a big dilemma that Jonathan was faced with, with his relationship with Susan. She wants to move to the suburbs. She's done fighting this fight, you know, she, I don't, I don't think in her heart of hearts, she would have asked him to really give it up, but she kind of wanted him to want to give it up for her. Don't fucking do that. And don't be that motherfucking person that asks your partner who is an artist to stop living their dream. Fuck you. Don't do that. Yeah. (sighs) Emotional take. I need you to go first. I felt the one minute scene in the, the first diner scene. I just really felt that hard. He says, a writer that waits tables or a waiter with a hobby. And then his garbage bag rips and all the food and garbage and crap falls on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's just like being aware of your age and your own timeline when you're an artist of any kind and how you have a side hustle or whatever it is to help pay the bills or help make it so that you aren't 80 years old, still working in a diner. Yeah. You know, so 
that was a very emotional moment for me. And since it was so early in the film too, it really helped me get into the spirit of the movie. And immediately I was like, I relate to this guy so much. So it just like set the stage for me to, yeah, to vibe with it. So, right. I, I really feel like I did this all in such a unintentional, but perfect order. Like I've been wanting to expose you to rent for a really long time, but I'm not just going to have you sit down and watch the movie. Like the first time that you absorb rent, we need to see it live. You need to see it live. You need to see it in person. I'd really like to. Yeah. And And I never thought that those words would come out of my mouth. I feel like watching this movie first, it's not like I was waiting around for like Jonathan Larson's life story to come out before we go and do that. But I'm glad it happened that way because now you have different context as to who he was and what he was trying to do. And now that whole build up to like, hey, on the next one, write what you know. And now knowing the stage that was set for him to write Rent. Maybe we should go to New York and see Rent. I would love that. It's on like, it's like its last Broadway tour or something. And it's like closing or something. Like last shows are sometime this like March or April or something. Oh, God. <sighs> okay. Noted. Noted. Okay. My emotional take. I feel like I was made to be a partner to an artist of some kind to support, to believe, to cultivate, just to love an artist, to be their teammate. Writing this down, I I feel like I'm writing, this is going to be the corniest thing I say this whole episode, I feel like I'm writing wedding vows or something, writing that, (laughs) all of that, but like, I just feel in my heart of hearts, like I was made to come into your life and be your partner and to let you know that it's a good thing to chase your dreams and you don't you don't need someone telling you to stop get a real job stop wasting your time on this stop wasting our money on this no do it do it until the day that you die and i'm here to be your partner in that for every artist who stops creating because their partner wants them to stop and get a real job, God kills a kitten. <laughs> <laughs> Michael says at one point in the movie, there are a million mediocre actors in New York City. There's only one Jonathan Larson. To that, I have two points. One, yes, there is only one Jonathan Larson, and he was a motherfucking genius and taken too soon from this world. And two, I will also say... There's only one Jonah Weingarten. You're so sweet. And you're the best. I love you so much, and I believe in you so much. I'm very, very grateful for you. You know know that. Yeah. And I can't wait to show you how grateful I am. Yeah. I fucking love you. Okay. And the Oscar goes to can be anything or anyone. Um, I have either the movie itself, just because it was great. Or Andrew Garfield, Best Actor. I feel like Andrew Garfield, Best Actor, is a little bit more probable. Right. But who knows? I agree. My Oscar realistically goes to Andrew Garfield. But emotionally, the Oscar goes to Jonathan Larson. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 That's very thoughtful of you. Yeah. Jacobson, rate this movie 1 through 10. I give it a 10. I give it a 10. I give it a 10. That does not surprise me. (laughs) What do you give this movie? Um, So I gave it an 8.5 in actuality because I can look at a piece of art through the lens of others or see it for what it is. And that goes for film or music or anything. I can recognize that something is excellent. But as far as my own enjoyment of it goes, I would just knock it down one point uh, to a 7.5 just because I'm not super into musicals generally. Yeah, it's not really your jam. It's not. It, they're just a little bit too frantic and major key all the time. And I don't, I have the style of singing I don't really enjoy. Yeah. So 8.5 in actuality, 7.5 for me. Okay. Because it, it was still good and I still enjoyed it. Good. I can live with that. Impact and influence of this movie on the industry. The movie itself kind of lives in its own realm of very current, very, very, like, right now influence. But... Looking back, I think I've talked plenty about Jonathan Larson's impact 
on the world and on musical theater, what Rent's impact was on musical theater and on the world, and that's all a little bit tied to this theme, but not this actual movie. But I will say that if it weren't for Jonathan Larson, I don't know that we would have creators like Lin-Manuel Miranda continuing to revolutionize musical theater and doing things like writing musicals like Hamilton, even though I don't like Hamilton. Everyone can agree that that was a revolutionary piece in and of itself. And I think it's really cool that this was his directorial debut for film and he got to pay homage to a person that had a huge impact on him. Any, any additions from you from the peanut gallery? Um, Oscar buzz question mark is what I have. Yeah. It currently is getting Oscar buzz. Yay. Yay. Good. I mean, uh, we've seen some really good movies this year mm-hmm. or, or, you know, in the Oscar season or whatever. My favorite is still don't look up. Yes. I hope that that wins yes. a lot of things. Same. I agree. Um, Jonah Hill, Best Supporting Actor and Best Film. All right. Jonah's bullet points! Jonah's bullet points! It's the things I want to say, but I don't want to talk about. My hope going into this movie was that I could enjoy it, and the story without knowing anything about Rent or Jonathan Larson. And uh, I did enjoy the movie, so... Mission accomplished. The Melodyne is strong in Garfield. Specifically in Bohemia, it's very noticeable. I love that Stephen Sondheim was played by Eric from Billy Madison. Also, rest in peace, Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. I, like, that made me laugh out loud, because he's always going to be Eric from Billy Madison to me. Mm. Oh, Bradley Whitford is just, he's so many different things for me. Mm. Why does it take a disaster for things to change is a quote from the movie. And that resonated with me because it made me think about uh, our current situation in the pandemic or um, anything because people never pay attention to things until there's a disaster and then it becomes something that we all have to care about. Yeah. This movie really hit home for me on so many levels, but especially Jonathan Larson feeling like he just wanted to give up music for a more conventional lifestyle and feeling like he's too old to keep trying to make it to the next level. Never. And then lots of earworms in the music. And that's all I got. This is a shorter Jonah's bullet points than normal. Yeah. But all, all very good, succinct points. And I completely agree with you. And I don't give a motherfuck how old you get. You can find success in new areas at any fucking point in time or whatever, you know. If someday you want to have your name in lights on a scoring a major motion picture, you know how most of those composers didn't actually hit it big until much later in their life. Right. It just whatever you want to do music-wise, I know that you can achieve it. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, hey, Jacobson. I am glad you made me watch this movie. Yay! Yes. You're picking next. What the fuck are we watching, or do you not know? Oh, shit, I don't know. You don't have to choose. You can leave the audience in suspense. Okay. Okay. Suspense. Intrigue. I'll think about it. (laughs) I always make you choose, so thanks for not making me choose right now. (laughs) Double standards. Yeah, I would rather you take a minute and make a heartfelt decision of what you want to watch next. You know, not not just like a, ooh, I want to watch... This random ass fucking obscure 80s action movie. Like, think about it. Think about it. Baby, thank you. Thank you for being the Jonathan Larson just to my heart. That is high praise. You're so sweet. (laughs) Just Uh, don't, don't die. You're not allowed to die early. It's part of my five-year plan. (laughs) You're not allowed to, like, have an untimely death situation. Sorry. Um, No. Yeah, it's not my intention. No. Hey, everyone. Get out there and support your local movie theaters. Yes. There's always good movies to see. Buy popcorn. And thanks for listening to this episode of Movie Lovers. And we will see you next time. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. We are movie. Movie lovers. We love movies because they're sweet. We are movie. Movie motherfuckers. We love movies. They can be beat. Oh, the
Thanks for listening to Movie Lovers. If you like what you heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Your feedback goes a really long way to helping our little podcast that could be seen by the world. Also, don't forget to give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram, too. You can find us by searching the handle Movie Lovers Pod on either platform. This is the part of the podcast where Jonah and I shamelessly promote our respective services that we provide in our careers. I'm a session musician and composer for hire. I do commission pieces ranging from podcast jingles to keyboard and orchestral arrangements, video game soundtracks, etc., the sky is the limit. If you're looking for custom composition services, you can find me on my website at www.jonahweingarten.com. That's J-O-N-A-H-W-E-I-N-G-A-R-T-E-N.com. Movie Lovers is a Mally Creative production. I, Mally, am the owner of Mally Creative, a marketing and multimedia design agency. If you or anyone you know is in the market for social media strategy, design, or management services, or perhaps you need a new website designed or even print or digital graphic design services, please reach out to me at my website, www.mallycreative.com. Again, that's www.mallycreative.com. If you'd like to advertise on our podcast, please reach out to us on social media, on our website at www.movieloverspod.com or by contacting Mally Creative.